you have your Bibles with you, I invite you over to 2nd Chronicles. Thinking we're around 13. I don't know for sure in a second. But as we look today, uh, you remember we finished up last time talking about Rehoboam. And uh, we had the division of the kingdom. Um, Solomon was always worried. You know, he actually spoke about it in Ecclesiastes. He said, you know, how do you know if you're the, a wise king and you build a great kingdom, whether or not your son coming after you will be a fool and lose it all? And uh, actually, that's what took place. Rehoboam came on the scene. He was young, inexperienced. He listened to the wrong people. And the kingdom was divided. Ten tribes moved north, centered their worship in Dan, turned their back on following the Lord God. Two tribes stayed south, uh, Judah and Benjamin. Rehoboam in the south kind of thought that this whole uh, worshiping God thing is okay if it serves a point, if it accomplishes something for me. But he was never really given to it. You remember maybe last time he had a favorite wife. She was the granddaughter of Absalom. One of the things that the Bible tells about Absalom and that whole uh, branch, I guess, of the family of David was that they were always gorgeous. The girls, the boys, they were always marked for their beauty. And Rehoboam's favorite wife was Maacah. She was uh, granddaughter of Absalom. She gave him a son, Abijah. Now, Abijah wasn't Rehoboam's firstborn. The firstborn should have been king, but Rehoboam made Abijah king because he loved Maacah more. So he lifted up Abijah and and set him on the throne. In chapter 13, that's where we pick it up. It says, in the 18th year of Jeroboam. So Jeroboam's king in the north. Jeroboam was someone that God prophesied. God said, look, Jeroboam, if you'll serve me, if you'll follow me, I'll give it to you. You know, Jeroboam had a hard time trusting God with the little things. He thought he needed to work it all out. He thought he needed a plan to control the people. Look, you look over history at all the kingdoms of history, you will discover a pretty common theme. If you want to control the people, control their religion. If you control their religion, you control what they believe, then you can control what they do, how they react. And so, that's what Jeroboam did. Now, I don't want you to think that's too shocking. That has happened all throughout history. And the Bible tells it will happen again. That little character called the Antichrist. He's going to have a religious system. He's going to control the masses through religion. It's one of the reasons why so many people will turn to atheism or agnosticism because they don't like the concept of being controlled. Well, I hate to break it to them, but really, they're all being controlled, right? I mean, everywhere, everywhere you turn, there is... The first lesson we should learn as human beings is we are not in control. If you haven't figured that out yet, you need to. You are living in something called denial. We don't have control. We don't have control. And so, 
In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Jeroboam, we're going to talk about in a moment, a little later, about some of the things he did. Abijah became king over Judah. Now, he reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah. Now, that's an alternate reading of Ma'akah. Of Ma'akah. That's the same daughter. The daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. That was her, or of Gibeah. That was her father. Her grandfather was Absalom. You guys with me? Same person we're talking about here. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Now there are, throughout the word, different stories. But there are times in people's lives where, maybe you've experienced this, where when you need God, you go to Him. But then as soon as you don't need Him anymore, you forget about Him. You ever experienced that in your life or known people who are? See, there's a thing... I think we in the church do a disservice because we ask people all the time to make a commitment to the Lord. Well, really what we want is a lot bigger than a commitment. Commitments are kind of waft. You know what I mean? They're, they're there. Oh yeah, I'm committed. Oh, I'm blessed committed now. Great. We need to surrender. And when we surrender, He has not only the good times, but the bad times as well. You with me? Our commitment can kind of go with the wind. But surrender is a totally different picture. A totally different picture. And I think that's the the attitude that the Lord would have us have in a relationship with Him. Well, it says in verse 3, Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 choice men. Mighty man of valor. So we got a battle brewing between the north and the south. Now you remember last time, Rehoboam went to go make war against Jeroboam to unite the, uni- unite the, the nation again. And God told Rehoboam, stop. I have divided the people. You let it be. This thing that you're upset about is from me. So stop. Now in this time, Jeroboam has decided, Rehoboam's gone, Abijah has come on. If I'm going to try to take over the kingdom, now's a perfect time. This guy's just becoming king. You know, he may not be too sure about where he stands or what he's doing. Perfect time to attack. So he amasses his, his people, 800,000 against 400,000, two to one, right? Good odds? Good odds, depending on which side you're on. <laughs> For Jeroboam, good. For Abijah, less good. So he's got these armies. Now, Abijah is the guy who would serve the Lord when it fit into his purposes. I know that because Kings talks about this guy. In fact, if you turn to the left to 1 Kings uh, chapter 15, you'll see what uh, the writer of Kings lays out for us. It says, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maacah, the granddaughter of Abishalom, or Absalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. He walked in the sins of his father, Rehoboam. What was Rehoboam's sins? 
Rehoboam really didn't care about a relationship with God. It was not something that he sought after. He had what would be called a divided heart. There was a piece of his heart available to God. But it wasn't his whole heart. How much does God want? Does God want just a piece? He's want a fraction? He wants it all. That's the concept. Surrender, right? All of it. He wants it all. But, but Abijah, um, he, uh, he didn't have it. He didn't give it all. His heart was not loyal. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem. God honored what commitment there was in Abijah because of David and what David had done before him. That's important when we come back to Second Chronicles chapter 13 because it says there was a time in verse 4 when Abijah stood on Mount Zemaraim, which is in the mountains of Ephraim. And he said, hear me, Jeroboam and all of Israel. So the armies are out before him. He's on top of his mountain shouting down toward the armies. This is before the days of sound systems, right? So if you want anybody to hear you, you had to get up on a mountain overlooking the valley where they were fighting. And he's shouting to them. He says, Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by a covenant of salt? Now that should be an interesting phrase for you. It might actually bring up a question. What in the world is a covenant of salt? Look, the salt in the covenant or in the offering was a part of every offering given. The, the Word lays out for us, the offerings were to be have salt sprinkled on them. It was a preservative. And the salt in the offering spoke of the permanence of what was being done and the purity of what was happening. So when it says it was a covenant of salt, it's talking about, look, this is a permanent covenant, permanent promise to David. And so he... Abijah's yelling and saying, you guys can't take it. God said that this kingdom's always going to belong to the family of David, and I'm here. So you can't take it. You're not going to be able to have it. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. And worthless rogues gathered to him and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. So Rehoboam took bad advice, didn't know what he was doing. Now we have a divided kingdom. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David? And you are a great multitude, and with you are the golden calves, which Jeroboam made for you as gods. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron, the Levites, <coughs> and made for yourselves priests like the people of other lands, so that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams can be the priest of the things which are not gods? That's what Jeroboam did. God said, Jeroboam, if you follow me, I'll use you. But Jeroboam chose to try to control the people himself. So he created... Two golden calves. One in, if I remember right, one is in Beersheba and one was in Dan. One in the southern part of Israel and one in the northern part of Israel. He didn't want them to go back to Jerusalem to worship. He wanted to control their worship. So he said, look, these two golden calves, they're now your gods. 
And he threw out all the Levites. <clears throat> now, where'd they go? South. They went south. They went down where they could still worship, where they could still follow the Lord God. So they went south. He threw out all the priests. He raised up priests he could control. Do what I say. Say what I tell you to say. That's control the people. I need to hold on to my power. I'm in control and I'm able to do. I I can solve all these problems for myself. This is what he's declaring. This is what he's saying. So, he said, but in verse 10, But as for us, the Lord is our God. For we have not forsaken Him. And the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron. And the Levites, they attend to their duties. And they burn to the Lord every morning and every evening. Burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. They also said the showbread in order on the pure table. And the lampstand of gold and His lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken Him. Now look, God Himself is with us as our head and His priests with the sounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you. O children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. Now Jeroboam's not listening. It's not that Abijah is so holy, but it just so happens that Abijah understands the promise of God that God made, and he's not going to Turn over the southern kingdom. Jeroboam has all he's going to get. But Jeroboam's grasping. Control his destiny. I will control it. I got 800,000 guys against your 400,000. I can take you. And while Abijah is giving his little speech, Jeroboam sneaks around behind him and surrounds him. So the army is surrounded. You see it in verse 13. It says, But Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around behind them. So they were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked around, to their surprise, the battle line was both front and rear, and they cried out to the Lord, and the priests sounded the trumpet. And the men of Judah gave a shout. And as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. God delivered. Jeroboam didn't have control of nothing. You remember another king who struggled with the idea that he could control his own destiny? He had built his own kingdom. What was that fellow's name? Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, this beautiful kingdom that I have built. And Daniel said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, may you live forever. The God of the heavens, he wants you to know that he gave you this kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar said, I don't know about that. I didn't see him at the battle. I don't really recognize his fingerprint anywhere in my life. I think this is the kingdom I built. So later on, Nebuchadnezzar's out on his patio looking at his kingdom. And he says, man, I am amazing. And he went crazy. The Bible says he went crazy for seven season, period of time. He went crazy, but yet the kingdom remained in his hand. He ate grass like an ox. His 
His hair grew like feathers, his nails like claws. He went crazy for a period of time. And then, at the end of that time, God returned unto him his sanity and he realized. Now, he didn't realize because God had done that to him. Doing that to him had nothing to do with it. What did he realize? I still have a kingdom. It's still here. Why didn't somebody else take it over? I mean, let's face it. If our president went utterly crazy and he started to grow out his hair like feathers and his nails like claws and he eat the grass in front of the Oval Office out in front, somebody else is going to take over. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. So, so when we think about that, the point was God held his kingdom and gave it back to him. It said, here. And he realized, Nebuchadnezzar writes Daniel chapter 4, in which place he, he gives honor, glory to God the Most High. Puts his life in his hands. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven when we arrive because he recognized the hand of God in his life. I don't control all this stuff. I don't control all this stuff. I can't wrest control from the, the circumstances that occur in my life. What I can do is make a choice to surrender to the Lord. Abijah here, he he does well. This is his one victory in the three years that he reigned. This is the one time where he responds properly to the Lord. The rest of the time, he doesn't live for the Lord at all. don't care about Him. He worships whatever God he wants to. He puts up high places, other places. He only rules for three years. It says, Abijah and his people struck them with a great slaughter. So 500,000 of the men of the army of Israel fell slain. Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time. And the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. That's the key to victory. Always. They relied on the Lord God for victory. We have to rely on the Lord God for victory over sin. We have to rely on the Lord God for every kind of victory for the different struggles that are before us. If we're going to overcome, we rely on the Lord God. In fact, God would say to Paul, Paul, it's important that I keep you in an infirmed state. Because when you're weak, that's when you trust in me. Right? When you're weak, that's when I'm strong. Remember, the Bible tells us three times Paul prayed. Now, we don't know what his malady was, and it really doesn't make any difference. He struggled with some issue, some disease, some problem. And he said to God three times, take it away, take it away, take it away. Now, he could walk around people and touch them and heal them. The shadow as he walked by would heal people on the ground. The, the, the handkerchief he wiped his sweat with, they would throw it on a person and he would get healed. But he could not heal himself. Because God said, if I heal you, if I make you whole, you'll forget me. And God's goal for our life is not our comfort or our prosperity. God's goal for our life is that we arrive home with Him. And so He said to Paul, man, you've got so much. If I take this away, the, the emphasis is, 
I'm going I'm to lose this. Reliance on Me. And only where we rely on the Lord are we able to attain victory. So, Abijah relied on the Lord. God gave him the victory, but that was it. That was it. The only time. The only time. He did not apply that in his life. And so, he is accounted in a list of kings as a, you know, a guy that just in the middle. He wasn't super bad, but neither was he good. So he gave the people one victory. It says, Abijah pursued Jeroboam, took cities from him, Bethel and its villages, Jeshanah and its villages, Ephraim and its villages. So Jeroboam did not recover strength in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him and he died. So eventually Jeroboam's going to die. God judges Jeroboam because Jeroboam is evil man who turns people away from the Lord. That was his one goal. Turn people away from the Lord. And so in the northern kingdom, every king is going to be judged by whether or not they led people away from Jeroboam or toward him. If they still enabled the false religious system that Jeroboam brought in, then they're considered a bad king that was in opposition to the Lord God Almighty. And they struggle. They struggle in the north always as a result of what Jeroboam did. But 21 says, But Abijah grew mighty. He married 14 wives. He wasn't bright, obviously. And begot 22 sons and 16 daughters. But those things are considered blessing. Blessing or children are always blessings. Now the rest of the acts of Abijah and his ways, his sayings, are they not written in the annals of the prophet Edo? So Abijah rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. And in his days, the land was quiet for ten years. Listen, because Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Asa is the first revival that you see happening in Israel. He's the first one. Asa begins to turn the people back toward the Lord. Say, guys, get on track. Look, God laid out for them just like He lays out for us. you got two paths. You can choose them. It was not Led Zeppelin who first came up with the idea. There are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the one you're on. And if you look at me and say, I've never heard that before, then you don't know who Led Zeppelin is either. But it wasn't Led Zeppelin's idea. Look, God, way back in the beginning in Genesis said, look, there's two. One leads to your destruction. One leads to your life. So he said, choose which one you're going to take. And then the Lord encouraged his people and said, choose life. Choose life. Before you ever got on the road, I told you what's down that one. So don't take it. Choose life. And so that's what we see about Asa. Asa chooses life. And how does he choose life? Exactly how Jesus said. You lose it. Oh, that's a little strange, though, isn't that whole concept? Jesus said, if you want to gain your life, you must lose it. What does that mean? That is a perfect description of surrender. Surrender. You give your life away. Who do I give it to? I give it to the Lord. I give it to Him. 
If you want to hold on to your life, Jesus said, hold on to it, but you're going to lose it. Take control. You're going to find yourself on that path that led to destruction. Wide is the road. And many there are who find it. But narrow is the path of salvation. And few there are who find it. Because one is the way of doing what I want to do. And the other is the way of surrender. And let's face it. Most of us don't want to surrender. We don't want to surrender because we think... I can control where I'm going better if I'm making the decisions. Now, I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life I looked at where I was after making all my choices. And I had broken marriage and a pretty heavy disease hanging over my head and a lot of things I didn't know how to fix. And I sat down on a couch and I said, God, So far, me making all the decisions has got me here. Exactly where you said this road would take me. I'm done with the wide road. I want the narrow one. Because even if the narrow one's hard, and even if, like Paul, God doesn't heal me of everything I face, and even if for 70 years my life is in the tank, I got the promise of salvation. And at the end, 70 years compared to eternity, which is a better bet. Eternity's longer. Eternity, or 70 years is short. And I don't think, I don't think that surrender to God, according to what the words that Jesus spoke, would equal the 70 years of torture. I think if we lose our life, we'll find it. I think if we give away everything we got, we'll discover greater treasure. I think the things Jesus said are true. But every one of them describe surrender. Surrender. That's where we pick up Asa. Now, Asa struggles in his life. And we probably won't get to his struggle today. But he begins so well. Look how he begins. He removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high place that broke down the pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and commandment. He commanded them. He said, you do this, I'm king. You don't do it, you can get out or you can die. Your choice. Wow, that seems kind of harsh. I don't think that That's a very good example of leadership. Are you sure? I think this is exactly how God would have us lead our families. Well, I don't want to squelch my child's ability to develop. Well, I do. What are you talking about, man? Do you know the things that are going on in my head when I was that age? That's what a parent's for. Kids got lots of friends. They need dads and moms who care about saying, that's wrong. This is right. Thus saith the Lord. But you know what the problem is? In our society today, so many broken families that we're worried about, well, my kids won't stay with me. If I lay down the law like that, they're not going to stay with me. Look, you love your kids like God tells you to love them. And you teach them right from wrong. 
And while they have control, they may choose to be with mom or with dad because he lets them do whatever they want. But nowhere in the Bible does it say, then compromise everything so you can have them. It won't help. You love them. You love them. What does the Bible say? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love never fails. Oh, but I don't don't think it'll work. I don't think... (laughs) So you're going to control it. Have at it, brother. You're on the wide path. Let me tell you where the wide path goes. Get on a narrow path. Look, Asa said, look... As long as you are in my kingdom, doesn't that sound like a parent? As long as you're under my roof, these are the rules. We go to church. You know, I never once knew it was an option growing up. Never one time. Oh, that's why you were so screwed up, Jackie. No, it's not why I was so screwed up. Why I was so screwed up is because when I had the opportunity to choose, I said, that's bunk. I want to control it. So I took control, and it wasn't until sitting on that couch that day that I relinquished it. I want control. (laughs) Great, great, great. And I remember the best times ever in my life, best times ever, when I was a kid growing up, my dad was serving the Lord, and my mom was serving the Lord, and me and all my brothers, and we were close. And I remember laughing and playing. And and the devil got his fingers in that family. Last time we had that, about maybe eight years ago, we all got together for Thanksgiving and it was like that again. Just for a minute, you know, like like we all come together. Now, we, we're a long ways down the road, right? Dad split. Mom got all caught up in the drugs. Me and my brothers all went like a shotgun blast, ten different directions. And a few years ago, we all come back. Now, my brothers are all loving the Lord. and But, you know, what I, I want to know, what could have been? <laughs> you ever feel that way? What could have been if that all didn't, if we didn't all take our roads, if we just walked with the Lord? What would have been like? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the hearts of men the things God has planned for those who love Him. God's got good plans. Not always easy, but good. And I'm thankful for that time. My family does not resemble today what I think it would have resembled if if they had followed, my, my dad had followed the Lord. My dad followed his desire for another woman. He got a new family. He's got new kids. He's got Really very little relationship with me. Not because I hold him accountable or because I hate him. That's the road. He took it. You know what I'm saying? So what's lost is lost. Is it redeemable in Christ? Absolutely. That's what we had eight years ago when everybody came under the same roof again and we had a little piece of that. But to me, it was the Lord saying, yep, this this was the plan. Here's where you guys are now, and and I can work with that. But this was the plan. This was the the place. If we'll follow him. Look, Asa said, there ain't no discussion. There ain't no discussion. My kids, 
all growing up, never one time asked me, Dad, do we have to go to church? Was never up. Now, we didn't start going to church till I was 30. Before that, I was a heathen, psycho, crazy freak. But when I was 30, I said, hey, we're going to church. And that's what we did. And we went to church like crazy people. You know what I mean? We did the Sunday, we did the Wednesday, we did the Saturday night. We said, oh, wait, something's going on at church on Thursday. We went. That's what we did. That's who we were. Amen. And I think that's what Asa's plan was. Hey, my kids love the Lord still. They didn't go crazy. Oh, you made them go to church too much. They don't want to know. That's, I lost them. Awesome, I made him go to church too much. No. You know how you lose your kids? By being a hypocrite. By being a, a crazy, change-my-mask dude who comes to church on Sunday and then go home and live like a freak, and your kids are watching live like a freak and then change when you go to church on Sunday. That's how you lose your kids. You don't lose them by being the right place, doing the right thing. You get them... You lose them by pretending. They... Kids can sniff out that fake stuff, right? You know what I'm saying? Surely you can sniff it out too, right? None of us look around and say, you know I want, who I want to be with? I want to hang out with that friend of mine who's a fake. Who pretends to be my friend, but as soon as I leave, he'll stab me in the back. Yeah, we all line up for that guy, right? So, man, our kids are not going to be no different. Only the, the, the guy who's fake can sometimes end up being us, right? We don't want to be that. Asa was who he said he was. He did what he said he was going to do. Certainly in the beginning. He built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord gave him rest. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what's it say? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, oh, wait a minute, I got a problem with that. I want to choose my own way. But Jesus said, no, 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 take my yoke on you. You guys know what that yoke is, right? That's a thing by which the person in control of the yoke can control you. Oh, I'm not going to put myself yoked to that. Well, he said, you take my yoke. You take it because the burden is easy. And the load, that's going to be light. You just let me have control. That's what Asa did. He had peace. He had rest. He had rest, certainly in the beginning. But look what it says. Therefore, he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought Him and He has given us rest on every side. You know that the Bible says, the Bible's such an awesome book. The Bible says, has these crazy statements. And, and sometimes people take them and they don't know what to do with them, so they just talk about contradiction or we can't understand it or, or whatever, and they don't go anywhere. But the Bible says in, in Romans, which we're going to start on Sunday, uh, I think it's around Romans chapter 3, it says, No one seeks after God. In another place, the Bible says, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And people go, that's a contradiction. The Bible says nobody seeks after God. Oh, yeah. Um, 
God sought us first. When you were yet sinners. In fact, there's nobody here who existed prior to the cross, right? Nobody here that was there when Jesus was crucified. Good. We've got that settled. You're, you're closer than anybody else. <laughs> you're closer than anybody else. Look, um, so the point is, God did everything that's necessary. We didn't seek to make amends. God provided a way. That's what he's talking about when he says, no one seeks after me. I did it. But when he says, you will find me when you seek me, he's saying, when you make a decision to live a disciplined life that says, I will seek the Lord my God. How do you seek God? It's a thing in front of the chair, in front of you. It's in a little pocket. It's black. I don't know if you've opened one lately, but it's a Bible. It's called the Word of God. The Word of God is God's letter to you. It is how we seek Him. He says, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Crack that book. I tried. I cracked that book and I read it and it didn't make no sense to me. I have heard it said that is a greater commentary on you than it is on the book. The Lord said... It's spiritually discerned. You have a relationship with me. You can understand it. You've got to be disciplined to be in it. That's what it means to seek me. Over and over again, the word says, Seek me early while I might be found. You know what I noticed? If I wait too long in the day, my day starts turning into mush. And I can't get nothing. I can't get caught up to be with God. You ever have that happen? Oh, the alarm goes off. I should get up. I need to get up and read, but wow, I'm so tired. I'm just 30 more minutes. I hit the snooze. 30 more minutes. I go to sleep. 30 more minutes. I wake up. Okay, 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 okay. I go make coffee. Took me 20 minutes to get to to see clearly enough to figure out what was coffee and what wasn't coffee, so I could put it together, put it in the machine. Stumbling around, and about that time, my phone starts ringing. The day has begun. The needs are coming through. And it's too late for me to have time with God. Because once that starts, it don't stop. So he says, seek me early. Get your lazy butt out of bed. And spend time with the Lord. I, I don't hear from Him. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Get your lazy butt out of bed and spend time with the Lord. Become a man or woman of the book. Spend time in God's Word. Oh, it's too hard. Oh, come on. You have a divided heart, if that's true. And the other things you want... We were talking about it last night at the discipleship deal. We were talking about how, you know, somebody called me and said, Hey, man, I I, I found the, the elk. I know where they're at. And I had a tag. And he said, we got to go at 3 in the morning. My butt can find a way to get up at 3 in the morning to go. Now you might say, uh, you know, I could care less if I ever get elk my whole life. Ah, you have something. There's something for which you will sacrifice to do. And if there is, and you won't sacrifice to read or spend time with the, the Lord, then I would say, now you know what your idol is. And if you want strength, tear it down. 
and be disciplined to seek God. And you'll find Him. That's, that's what happened. They found peace because they were seeking the Lord. That's what the Word is telling us. Now look at this crazy thing happens. This is crazy. Uh, oh, where am I? Did I get lost again? Where would I go? Chapter 14. So it says, And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin 280,000 men who carried shields, drew bows, all these were mighty men of ours. So he's got this cool army. And then it says, Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men. Ooh. I don't know. 300,000, 200,000, a million. Uh, does not sound like good odds. Doesn't sound like good odds. He had 300 chariots. Woo! 300 chariots and a million men. But you know... You just run out of ammo. You know that, right? A million's a lot. China has 200 million. We, they're not enough. <laughs> there comes a point where the army's too big. It's a huge army back then. So Asa went out against him. And he set the troops in battle array. They got ready in the field of Zephathah in Merishah. And Asa cried out to the Lord. Where's victory come from? It don't matter whether by many or few. Look what he says. Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. He said, it doesn't matter if I had a huge army or I don't have any army, if I got a bunch of invalids out here, those who have no power, you can deliver. You can deliver. That's what he's saying. He's saying, God, this is your battle. So help us, O Lord our God, for we... You see where it says? Mine says, rest on you. Though it's the same word as rely that we saw about Abijah. For we rely on you. Win or lose, God, we, we, we do it for you. Through you, by you, to you, for you. It's got to be about you, in you, through you. So, O Lord our God, we rely on you. And in your name, we go out against this multitude... Oh Lord, you are our God, so do not let man prevail against you. So he, he said it, we rely. It's, it's you. We're going to trust in you, God. We're going to put our hope in you, God. Um, it's you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopian before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. So God gave him victory. Now, he gave him peace for a time, but then always, 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 we walk with the Lord, there will be times of testing. Not to see whether or not we are able, but for God to show you what you're capable of. So he showed Asa. Asa, check this out. I'm going to send this huge army against you, and you're going to trust in me, and brother, it's not going to be no big deal. We'll conquer it together. Man, God's doing cool things. Asa's heart is, is, is focused on the Lord and walking with the Lord. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued uh, to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown. And they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and His army. And they carried away very much spoil. And they defeated all the cities uh, around Gerar. For the fear of the Lord had come upon them, and they plundered all the cities. For there was exceedingly much spoil in them. And they attacked the livestock enclosures, carried off the sheep, camels in abundance, and returned to Jerusalem. So the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. Azariah is a prophet. And he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you. 
while you are with Him. If you seek Him, He will be found. If you forsake Him, He will forsake you. He said, listen, God is with you while you are with Him. The idea is, as long as your heart is with the Lord and you want to walk with Him, He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God didn't forsake. What did He say? If you forsake Me. God's not going to force you to walk with Him. You get what He's saying? So if you turn your back on Me, it'll be like forsaken because I'm not going to do it. I'm still here. God didn't leave. Who left? You did. He said, I will never leave you. But if you leave Him, you have accomplished the same thing, haven't you? Yeah. You left. So the prophet says to Asa, man, Asa, don't ever leave. Stay in this place. He said, for a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without the law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought Him, He was found by them. You hear what he's saying? Look, it doesn't matter when or how, if you find yourself someday in a place where you go, oh man, I got off track, and I turn toward the Lord, where is He? Does He say, you know what, you turn, get away from me. No, He said, if they turn to me to find me, they will find me. Because He's always there. Always there. That's the, the, the promise. That's what God is is telling them about. So, in those times, there was no peace to the one who went out, nor was there uh, to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. So, nation was destroyed by nation, city by city. For God troubled them with every adversity. But you, be strong and do not let your hands be weak. For your work will be rewarded. Hey, don't quit, Asa. You're doing good. Just hang in there. Just keep going. If you, if, you, if, you, if you turn away from the Lord, He'll leave you. Well, He didn't really leave. You left. God's just not going to make you walk with Him. And when you leave God, He takes His hand off. What do you mean? He takes His hand off. Man, you have no idea the things God has saved you from. Oh, God ain't never saved me from nothing. Yeah, well, one day you get to heaven... And you get to watch the video, and you look on the video and go, Whew, I didn't even know that ever happened. Looky there. I was got on the road five minutes late. Otherwise, I'd have got killed in that wreck. Or, this dude was laying in wait for me. He was going to kill me, and I was so late to show up, he decided to go do something else, got caught, and ended up in jail. I didn't even know that guy was mad at me. You have no idea. But you will when he takes his hand off. He takes his hand off. And it is like you can't hit the ground with your hat. Have you ever been there? I throw my hat on the ground and it went the wrong way. Everything I touched turned to something I didn't want to have. Kept getting worse. Take a look at where you're at. Maybe you have made the choice to walk away from God. And He's taken His hands off. He doesn't take his hands off because he hates you. He takes his hands off because he wants you to know the difference between when I walk with God and when I don't. He wants us with him. 
walking. Look what he tells Asa to do. So he said, when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Obed, the prophet, he took courage. And he removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. He restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Uh, the word vestibule means the entrance. It's like the entrance way into the temple. He fixed the altar going in the entrance of the temple. That's called the brazen altar, the bronze altar. That's where all the sacrifice is going to happen. If he repaired it, what's that mean? There hasn't been no sacrifices. He fixed it. If people, people, when times get good, they start to forget about the Lord. He went in and fixed it. He starts turning things around, changing. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin. He gathers all the people together. Those who dwelt with them in Ephraim, Manasseh, Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with them. You hear that? Listen, don't, don't miss that. You hear people talk about things like ten lost tribes and no such thing as ten lost tribes. God ain't never lost anybody. But right here it says, from the ten tribes that went north, when they saw Asa walking with God, what did they do? They started to come south. Because they wanted to walk with God too. Get what I'm saying? You had a representative of every tribe in both kingdoms. The ones in the south wanted to walk with God. The ones in the north didn't. So they come south. They all gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time seven hundred bulls and seven thousand sheep from the spoils that they had brought. And they entered into a covenant, a promise, to seek the Lord God with their fathers with all their heart and all their soul. They said, hey, we're going to be disciplined. We're going to seek God. Now look, that didn't mean they went outside, they sat in the lotus position, and they started to hum and try to concentrate on what God might look like. No. When it says they sought God, where would you seek Him? In His Word. That's where they sought Him. They broke out the Word. They started looking for Him, being disciplined in their life to say, God, I want to know You. I want to understand You. Look, I didn't ever think about whether it was right or wrong to be drunk until I read the Bible and the Bible told me not to do it. I never really thought about whether it was right or wrong to, to, to be with other women until I read the Bible and I started to say, you know what, God doesn't want me to do that. That's how we learn to walk with Him. We read His Word. They said, we're going to seek Him. All our heart, all our soul. It means they're not going to do it part way. They're not going to do it a little bit. They're going to get into it. They're going to go for it. And whoever will not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Whew. Asa wasn't playing. He wasn't playing. Hey, God gives us charge today to protect sheep. He doesn't give us charge to try to bring wolves in. He gives us charge to protect sheep. So if somebody's a wolf, they got to go. Peace. See ya. Gotta go. You you reach out to and take care of sheep. Sheep beget more sheep. Now, sheep bite, but the bite from a sheep is not the same as a bite from a wolf. And if you want to know the difference, I was telling the guys last night, you know how you tell the difference? Look at what they eat. Sheep don't run around eating other sheep. Oh, that was a good little ewe lamb I just ate. No, wolves do that. Right? That's how we tell the difference. 
So he said, look, you guys don't want to follow God. If you're going to be here, you're done. You don't want to follow God. Don't come. You want to follow the Lord? Right on, brother. Come on in. Problems and all. All the time in the world. For somebody who wants what God's offering and struggles compared to somebody who don't want it at all. You don't want it at all? Get out. And they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all of Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they swore with all their heart. And they sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and he gave them rest. Isn't that the same thing Jesus promised to do? You know that the Bible says, I am the Lord God, I change not. Right? God didn't get saved halfway through the Old Testament to, to make the new. Same God. Same points. Just got to have eyes to see. They sought Him with their whole heart and He gave them rest. Does that mean that when they went out for their crops, that their crops always did good? Does that mean when, when they were, were following, the, nobody ever got sick? Or nobody ever died? No. It means God gave them peace. Jesus said, peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. My peace I give. Man, Jesus' peace is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Even though I don't understand everything, I got peace. Because I know Jesus, he's the prince of peace. King of peace. He's the king of Jerusalem, which is the city of peace. Yeru Shalom. Peace. Fortunately, in this world, it's more like the city of war. But when the king comes back, it'll be a city of peace again. He gave them peace. Why? Because they wanted God. Were they perfect? Did they ever miss a sacrifice? Did they screw up? Oh, yeah, they screwed up a lot. But what happened? God honored the fact that they sought Him with all their heart. They want me. They want me. You want Him, you'll have Him. If you don't want Him, nothing you do is going to get Him. He wants your heart, lock, stock, barrel. All of it. Not just some little piece. He wants it all. Look what He says. And he removed Makah, the mother of Asa. Well, that word, we know in the Hebrew, mother, father, it means it's the same word. Mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, just means you're part of the family. He removed Makah. Remember, Makah was married to Rehoboam. She was still around. She was the queen mother. She had some title and authority, and she had a, a religious system. She had Asherah poles, it says. So he removed her, the mother... Uh, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image to of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and brushed, then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. He tore it all down. Wiped it out, pulled her out and said, no, no, you're not in charge of nothing no more. I mean, he was serious about the reforms that he brought. But the high places, they didn't all get removed. That's the next verse. You know, if we don't purge it all, later on it'll bite us. 
You know what I mean? You leave that little stronghold for the devil. You know that one that that God often puts on your heart. You know you should stop this or get rid of that. But we leave it because it's just a little thing. It's them little things that get us later. It's those little things that got Asa later. He didn't. He didn't get rid of it all. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He wanted to do good and he he loved the Lord with all his heart, but he didn't get, take care of everything he should have took care of. He didn't remove everything he should have removed. He didn't he didn't have he didn't have the willingness to pay the price on some of the little things. And those little things get him in the end. But he is marked as a good king because he was loyal all his days. He loved God. He just later on didn't always do what he should have done because he left little places for the devil to mess with him. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and he himself had dedicated, silver, gold, utensils. There was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Remember I told you every once in a while God's going to test, right? To show you what you can do. He also will test you to show you what's been slipping away. That's what he does with Asa. In other words, God, you saw the army of a million guys, right? That was no problem for God. But this time, Asa's going to react different. That time, he relied on, on the Lord. All it showed Asa was, something's in my heart that wasn't there before. Well, what put it there? All those little high places that you left. Those little places... Those little things that you didn't deal with. The high place, ah, I, don't, I don't even go there no more. I don't go do that. I don't go. Look, those little things that come back and bite us sometimes. So, if God lays something on your heart to cut out, cut it out. Jesus put it like this. You know, it's better for you to enter into heaven with one eye than go to hell with two. It's better for you to go to heaven with one hand than to go to hell with two. The emphasis obviously is, there are some things I need to cut out of my life. Not actually my hands and eyes. But the emphasis is on that sin, that thing, that, that thing that God wants us to deal with. Prayerfully, we will learn from those who went before us, right? The Asus, great, great king, good king, loved God, struggled at the end because of the high places. Yeah, I struggled in the middle with high places. Yeah, I struggled in the beginning with everything. So life is about growth, right? Always growing, moving forward, drawing closer to Him.